Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to a very special episode of Flyers Daily, not just with Jason Mertides. No, 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 no. We bring in a couple heavy hitters from Flyers, uh, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. He's been on many times. Bill Meltzer joins us. And also uh, from the Philadelphia Flyers, Brian Smith joining us. We have a trifecta of minds. Maybe we can all hash this out and kind of figure out what's going on for the Flyers come playoff time with the official announcement coming just a couple of days ago from NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman. A lot to discuss here. First and foremost, everybody healthy? Everybody doing all right, Schmitty? Can't complain. If you're looking for heavy hitters, I think you dialed the wrong number, but uh, we'll get something through here. <laughs> well, it's very fitting that this uh, podcast is brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Give them a follow on Twitter, at Yingling Beer. Bill, everything good? Uh, did anything stick out to you from uh, Gary Bettman's uh, announcement on Tuesday now that you've had a couple of days to chew on it? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, well, first of all, once I digested the, the NHL draft part of it, which took me a couple of, uh, of run-throughs to understand exactly how the draft is going to work. But a- after that, the, the parts that would directly affect the Flyers, you know, as, as far as structure goes, I, I think it's pretty beneficial to the Flyers. As You know, that, that was my first take on it where – you know, if they're, they're going to play this round robin. You can't drop lower than fourth. You could finish even, you know, at the top of the conference, be a, be a one seed going in. I mean, it, it's a great situation because, it, you know, you can, you can only move up before the playoffs start. So that's, uh, you know, I think that's a beneficial situation when, when you get that far. And listen, the, the reason why they're having the round robin was, was uh, you know, my other immediate takeaway from it is that, uh, you know, you don't want them just to be exhibition games. You want to be playing for something before you have a playoff series. So, you know, I, I think from a from a Flyers standpoint, that's actually a, a very good situation for them. Um, you know, the other takeaway, of course, and, you know, Gary Bettman said very straight, straightforwardly that, uh, you know, anybody who's putting dates to it is just guessing, you know, and, and heard today that um, training camps won't start any earlier than July the 10th. So you, you take that three weeks out, you're looking at the very end of July, beginning of August, till there be actually any, any game. So, you know, we're going to have to sit tight for a while here, but at least there's a structure. Is it your understanding that, you know, I know they're talking about two exhibition games for the teams that are going to be in the five uh, best of five play-in round. Is there going to be two exhibition teams for the top four teams as well in each conference? I, I don't know. I know. I know they're going to have the three-game you know, round robin. Uh, with those teams and those those will count for playoff seeding. I don't know if there'll be something that precedes that. Um, I know there's been talk about doing that. I mean, there, there's still some things to be to be hammered out, such as when you do get into the first two rounds of the playoffs, uh, they're considering best of five for the quarterfinals and semifinals and then best of seven for the um, conference finals and Stanley Cup, or maybe every series will be seven games as it traditionally is. That has to be figured out between the uh, NHLPA and the NHL. So, I mean, there's still there's still quite a few details to be to be worked out before they would actually, you know, come come to a final plan. And obviously, the the venues as well. Gary Bevin says that's three or four weeks away before they pick the two hub cities. So, yeah, we're gonna have to sit tight for a while. But at least uh, we kind of have a you know a, a, a rough framework of what it'll look like. Yeah, the blueprint is certainly there. And speaking of blueprints, I will uh, in full disclosure. Uh, say that I am using Bill's article on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com as a blueprint for a lot of the content on this very episode. And Schmitty, well, the regular season's over. It, uh, we're not going to get any regular season hockey back for the Flyers. So from for statistical purposes, the Flyers finished with the 89 points, albeit in 69 games, 41-21-7. Konechny finishes as the team's top goal scorer. And I saw an email 
Uh, it's coming up uh, just a few days ago from uh, uh, Flyers PR man Joe Seville looking for team award votes. Schmidt is the MVP of the Philadelphia Flyers, their leading scorer, Travis Konechny, or is it Carter Hart? Is it Sean Couturier? Is it Ivan Provorov, Matt Niskanen? Where's your vote going? It could go any number of ways there, uh, Jason. And, and, you know, I think uh, when you look at the grand scheme of things, I try to look at the MVP award as, okay, if this player wasn't there, uh, where, who would be – who would the Flyers be sunk the worst at without, I guess is the way I would need to put it. And, uh, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, it was a very tight race. Um, when you uh, try to evaluate uh, who might be a most valuable player, yeah, you can go any number of, of different ways. Um, I am going to lean toward Kevin Hayes just on the strength wow. of how he finished the season. Um, when, uh, when you look at, a, an MVP award. A lot of times, people look at a um, at, a, at a, an entire season. Um, with Kevin Hayes, I like the way he came on after he obviously got comfortable with the team. Um, you know, he obviously had a slow start, but when you look at how he finished with this team down the stretch over the last month, plus what he brought to this team off the ice, that's the other thing that really kind of just took me off to that wild card boat. Um, this guy is such a glue guy in the locker room. We've started to see it through the team's social media channels over the past uh, month or so, I guess you'd say, of the, la of the uh, last month of the season. Um, I, I just think that he brought uh, a ton to this lineup. And you have to pick somebody. Uh, you know, uh, Travis Konechny definitely had a, a stellar campaign career season. Um, Matt Niskanen uh, really changed the Flyers' defense. If Carter Hart doesn't play the way he does on the road, uh, the team is sunk as well. But uh, I just decided to lead toward that just because it's probably a little bit off the wall too. Uh, but uh, I, I really think he brought a lot to this team, both uh, on the score sheet uh, and some of the things on the ice that don't show up on the score sheet and off the ice as well. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that, uh, he was on pace to have his highest goal output uh, as a National Hockey Leaguer as well, had they finished the regular season. Uh, Bill, when you look for an MVP, are you going like Schmitty off the board a little bit there? Not necessarily off the board, but one I hadn't thought of, and Kevin Hayes, or uh, do you lean in a different direction? No, I would go with Sean Couturier. Um, I think Coots will win the Selkie for the first time this year. What, what I look at it as is no matter who – Sean Couturier played with, he made them into a better player. Whether, whether it was uh, Oscar Lindblom or Konechny or, you know, playing with, uh, playing with Borchek and, and Giroux or, you know, wherever, wherever they had him, um, you know, I, I, think, I think they were better players for playing with him. Um, we all know about his two-way game. Maybe his goal totals were a little off this year compared to his back-to-back 30-goal -back seasons. But, it, you know, and, and I go back to, you know, like, like Brian said, who would be the guy of the team who'd be the sunk without the most? And I think that's very close between Couturier and Ivan Provorov, who, you know, since he's been in the NHL, the Flyers have never had to be without him because he's yet to miss a game. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I think you could make a case for Provorov as well, but, you know, I, I would go with Couturier. Yeah, as much as I want to lean, and you guys know me, I want to go goaltender, goaltender, goaltender. But to me, he may not be the most talented player on the team in Sean Couturier, but to me he's the most important because he dictates so much. And I've actually said this to Elaine Vigneault in a joking fashion that when the team knows that 
you're juggling lines. Is there a line outside your door to play his wing? Because he's, he just, you're right. He makes everybody better no matter who he plays with because of his responsibility to the, to the full 200 sheet, you know, 200 foot of the ice. And, and just amazing. Um, the Flyers clinched that playoff spot guys as the number four seed. And if there's one thing that we can take and Bill, you alluded to it that you can take from Gary Bettman's announcement is that the four seed in the, in each conference as being part of that top four has nothing to lose in this scenario. They can only move up. They can't move down in this round Robin tournament that's going to take place, but the, it, there still has got to be some sort of sense of motivation to come out of this round Robin and try and improve your positioning because in, in theory, and it looks like they're going to go to a seeding system and not a bracket and reseed, uh, you could get what is technically deemed an inferior opponent, right? Schmitty? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a very interesting way that they came up with this whole thing. And obviously, I, obviously nothing's going to be perfect. Um, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's most fair. And I have seen, uh, you know, there's plenty and plenty of people uh, complaining about Montreal's situation and uh, how they were uh, nowhere near a playoff spot. But uh, when you look at the grand scheme of things, you have to look over to the Western Conference. And in the West, uh, there were several teams within reach of that last spot. And you do have to go all the way down to Chicago before you can find a place where you can draw a line. And if you're going to do that in the West, you have to do that in the East. So you have to just consider Montreal the, the beneficiary. Um, if they do reseed, then obviously it's wide open. Uh, Flyers could get anybody. Um, if they don't, I think you're looking at that 5-12 matchup. But uh, re regardless, I think, of who they get, I think they're going to have um, – uh, uh, probably going to be in a situation where they would be favored. Um, you know, But we all know what today's NHL is like. Uh, any team can win on any given day, and that's part of the reason I think Pittsburgh fans are so nervous about having to play Montreal, and that's where a lot of the pushback on Montreal is, is coming from. But, uh, but, but, yeah, they, you know, again – wanting to have something to play for in that, uh, in, in that first, uh, that first section of whatever this uh, return to play ends up being. Uh, when you think about the team that would be the most excited to play that the flyers would be it because, you know, if you're, if you're Boston or even Washington, you're thinking, I can't believe we have to do this. You know, we've had such a great regular season. Um, you know, uh, now we got to sit here and try to earn this back again. Whereas for the flyers, like you said, the only thing they can do, is uh, quote unquote move up and, and and again, how much advantage goes into that? Uh, it would be an interesting thing to get a, a thought on from Elaine Vigneo because obviously there is no quote unquote home ice advantage, but uh, Gary Bettman did allude to the home team rules being in play and last change and uh, you know the face off uh, face off commitments things like that. It would be interesting to hear their thoughts on how big a deal it is to have those. Uh, things at your disposal because that will be uh, pretty much all there is in terms of home ice advantage this year. And, and Bill, it's interesting. And I heard uh, Gord Stellick mention this this morning uh, uh, on the NHL morning scene on NHL network radio um, for the teams that are of the notion that um, it's a disadvantage to be one of those top four teams because the other teams are going to play a best of five series. Well then why don't they just put a situation in place where they can opt out of being one of those top four teams and then that way uh, they can they, they can play a play-in series and they can swap out with a team. That'd be a whole other ball game, but uh, I get the sense that they don't dislike it that much. Schmidt, are you a little surprised at the two teams that didn't vote for it when you look at uh, the Carolina Hurricanes 
and the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, there's other teams that have, I think, a more legitimate gripe. Like, I look at Pittsburgh, and I go, they've got a legitimate gripe uh, being the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, and now to have to battle their way through Carey Price. We know that Montreal's not a great team, and they've proven that out. They're NHL 500 uh, on the year, and, and they're getting a, a rebirth of sorts. Um, but they are an inferior opponent. But when you look at the fact that, you know, the – the team that's won three cups with that core and back-to-back cups just a few years ago, they're going to have to battle their way in when they've been pretty firm footing that they were going to the NHL playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, the purpose of having a, a player rep and having this whole situation is to represent your, your interests, right? So, you know, I, I can't fault uh, either of the teams for, uh, for, for their, um, you know, for the things they thought were wrong with this. And in the case of Carolina, I think it was explicitly said that uh, they didn't feel that the system as presented benefited them. Um, I think uh, for, for Tampa, it was a little bit of a different, um, a little bit of a different uh, dispute in terms of, uh, you know, playing meaningful games. And I, I don't know if this whole round Robin thing was part of it when they voted on it, or if this was added later, if it was part of it when they voted on it, I didn't see it. Um, I, I remember thinking we'll play for seating. And then next thing I know they're, they're playing for seating. But um, at any rate, uh, you know, the, the one thing I think you have to remember um, when you're looking at the situation in general is that you are um, no longer in, in terms of figuring out how we're going to do this. You're no longer looking at just your team. You're looking at the league in general and how can we get something out there under underway that is going to be, uh, you know, fair to everybody and still give uh, the, the folks that earned it during the quote-unquote regular season a, an advantage of, of some sort. The one thing that I've been uh, kind of uh, getting more and more used to, not just in hockey, I've heard this coming from all walks of life and different things that I'm involved in, is that uh, you know, what, what was normal is gone. Um, you, know, you can't yeah. approach this as, okay, they would have not made the playoffs if you, it would have been this, would have been that. Yeah, I almost have to approach it like, okay, let's pretend that this 2014 format was going to be the format from the start of the season. That they were going to have a 2014 playoff, the top four teams were going to get buys, and then there was going to be this play. And you kind of have to look at it from that perspective. And I think if you do look at it from that perspective, I think the teams that are in there deserve to be in there. I mean, Montreal, again, they, people are talking about, yeah, they're 15 points out. Well, they've got, uh, I think, 19 uh, overtime wins or past regulation wins. And when you uh, look at, I, I haven't looked at who they beat those teams uh, with those games, but a lot of those points, those extra points that are floating around are in the Eastern conference with some of those other teams. So, you know, obviously regulation wins are a big deal, but you can't, uh, you can't give one team credit for getting a bunch of points and not give the other team credit for getting them in overtime or shootout standings anyway so I think this was the the fairest way to go about it and uh, now just uh, leaving it up to all the powers that be to figure out all those little details about uh, best I mean we you know we're, we're coming from a league here that uh, you know 30 years ago uh, well more than that I guess more than like 35 you had best of three play-ins you had best of five uh, first round series. Yeah. I mean, this is not unprecedented. This has happened before. And nobody had a problem with it then just because we've gotten, I mean, I think, I think going to four rounds of best of seven was more to, to take advantage of fan interest and, and the business side of the game more than it was saying, Oh, you know, 
best of five's not fair or whatever. I mean, even, you know, other sports have had best of five too. So returning to it for, for one year doesn't bother me in the least. And I think a lot of people have come to realize that, uh, yeah, if you're going to put an asterisk next to this playoff thing, it would be a good thing because this is going to be a more difficult Stanley Cup to win, I think, uh, than uh, perhaps even a regular playoff is. Yeah, it's a great point, and you're, and you're right. And a lot of those years, too, where they did the best of five, it was 16 teams made the playoffs. Of 21 teams in the right. league, it was everybody makes the playoffs in yeah. hockey. The ratio well, was, was the right. same. Yeah, yeah. The ratio is the same now as it was back then, just for yeah. this one year. Yeah, so this is not that unprecedented. Um, let's talk about that round robin, because regular season rules, so five-minute three-on-three overtime, shootout if need be. Um, the only area being the four seed that hurts the Flyers is a tie-break situation. It would go then to the team that is higher in the standings. Um, and obviously the Flyers at the four would be the lowest in that equation should there be some kind of tie in the way the round robin plays out. But here's what I know, that uh, for the Flyers in their conference play this year, they went 22-8-5 and five in the Eastern Conference. Uh, amazing. And against those three teams that they'll face in the round robin, the Bruins, they went 2-1. and one. The, Cap- or the Lightning, they went 0-2-0. Uh, and the Capitals, they went 3-0-1. We know they didn't play that third game against um, Tampa Bay. They were in Tampa Bay to play it when the season got halted. Um, so all said and done, uh, it's a record of 5-3-1 and one on the season against those teams. So w- if you go by the regular season, and I don't know that we should or shouldn't, um, they do have a, a pretty darn good chance to, to improve their positioning here going forward in these uh, 2020 very unique playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing that I keep coming back to is that when you look at what generated those standings, um, you know, the Flyers went into the season with a completely new coaching staff uh, on the bench. Um, Ian LaPerriere, the only holdover. And, uh, you know, that, that, that means new systems, new ways of doing things. Um, you're, you're getting used to uh, what, what these guys want you to do. Um, and the Flyers had enough new personnel that they uh, were, were get maybe getting used to each other a little bit uh, as well. And what I'm getting at is that, you know, you, you, you get excited when things like that happen and it starts to click in February. When you really get excited is when that group, having had one season together, gets another training camp under their belt and gets to start the second season. Well, the Flyers are going to get that situation within the first season. They're going to have an opportunity here to have another training camp. You know, again, we're assuming all this is going to actually take place, but they're going to have that opportunity, and then they're pretty much going to get to, uh, to go right into a playoff situation off of that training camp. Um, the other interesting thing to me is that uh, when you look at these three coaches that the Flyers brought in this year, um, all three of them have experience in – coming off an Olympic break, a three-week break, and taking their teams down the stretch very, very deep in the playoffs. Um, so I think that the, uh, the Flyers will benefit from that. Obviously, this is an un- unprecedented situation, and we're going to be talking about uh, three months here off before uh, we get going again, more than, you know, much more than, than three weeks. But I think all these guys have uh, the ability to draw on that experience and uh, you know, find ways to translate that into – preparing for this this playoff run and so I think those two things are uh, some of the intangibles that the Flyers are really going to benefit from here as they you know get this opportunity to uh, to, to go in here with some uh, time to reevaluate things I mean, we, all, we all know how hard it is to practice during uh, during a season especially in the late goings uh, now these co- the coaching staff has had all this time to kind of digest what was going well for the team and figure out ways to leverage it yeah, it's a great point. And, and you're right. This is where a coaching staff with this much experience 
could, I mean, they've obviously paid dividends. I mean, I've, I've equated this coaching staff to anywhere between four and eight points in the standings year to year. Uh, but you're right. This is these unique circumstances. And, you know, the one thing, Schmitty, I always, I've heard from every player during the pause when I've had them on Flyers Daily or Flyers Fix or whatever we talk to the guys is Elaine Vino's feel on the bench, the way he runs a bench. I think that could be a huge element too uh, for this team. And it, it's going to be really interesting to see um, if they're able to, to recapture. Because if you look across the league, um, there's a couple teams that really did not want this pause. That everybody didn't want it to take place. But from the way they were playing, and the Flyers are at the top of that list, winning nine of their last 10 games. Uh, when you're in a groove like that and you're on a heater, you certainly don't want to stop. Uh, but that's also an opportunity for this team to, to jump back in and uh, have that feeling of unfinished business, isn't it? It is. And, you know, there was, again, I'm not, I don't want this to be interpreted as saying I'm happy this happened, but uh, there was a, a small part of me that was a little nervous about the Flyers being on a nine game winning streak at that particular point in the, the season, timing, because yeah. <laughs> what, what ends up happening is it's not sustainable. Um, you know, and, and then uh, hockey season goes like this. We all know it. And, what, you know, not that you can control it, but you want to hit that first week of April somewhere around here and, and then ride that wave into the playoffs. That's what happened to the Flyers in, in uh, 2010 to an extent. Um, you know, you want to be uh, – you want to peak at the right time, if you will. And we all saw what happened uh, with Tampa last year when they didn't. And I think that was actually part of why they voted against the whole proposal in general is because they saw what happened when they played uh, insignificant games for six weeks and then uh, were just flat as a pancake coming out against Columbus in the first round. So, uh, you know, I think uh, it is going to be very interesting to see how the pack comes out of uh, come, comes out of the uh, starting gates, if you will, because nobody's ever done this before. We've never had a situation where – uh, there's a there's a break like this, and it, it's going to be almost the length of a an off season. I think by the time we get going, uh, if you do the math, I think if we're if, if they're if they're yeah. playing in early August, having stopped in in mid March, that's uh, I think through three four and a half months. So it's 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 going to be very interesting to see who comes out and tries to to catch lightning in a bottle, if you will. And I agree with you on Elaine Vigneault's, uh, uh veteran experience in that regard, not only within a game. But I think within uh, the, the league as a whole, I think he's going to be paying very close attention to what happens with the other teams in that first round, that playing round, and, and do what needs to be done to, uh, to, to put the team on the best footing heading into the first round of the playoffs and also to adjust once there. Um, you know, there, there aren't a lot of guys that I would uh, be more excited about having uh, make those adjustments than the ones the Flyers have behind the bench now. Yeah, that's a great point because – and he's a guy that knows his team so well, especially after 69 games throughout the season. I think it's a huge uh, part of the equation. Schmitty, um, as uh, being part of the organization and uh, on the broadcast media side as well, uh, what is your understanding as far as who will travel with the team to one of these hub cities? Well, we got to look at the um, the return to play – uh, phase two or whatever it is um, uh, in, this this few days ago um, and at the moment that memo uh, limits teams to 50 personnel uh, in the in the host city um, so it's going to be it's going to be few and far between um, you know there, there's going to be a uh, I believe they said a 28 player uh, roster size and unlimited goalies so the Flyers 
could take chance. three goalies. Uh, they could take four. We were talking about this uh, in uh, the prospect pipeline. Bill and I were uh, over whether they would bring back uh, Felix Stanson or Kirillos Domenko for this ride. Uh, it would obviously be tremendously beneficial to one or both of them. And if you don't have a limit, maybe you bring them all. I don't know how much ice there is. Um, there's going to be available in these hub cities. I don't know if it's going to be a situation where you can have guys stay back in Voorhees and come join the team if necessary. I don't know if that's going to be feasible. Um, it's so far away still. We don't really know what the situation will be when, when it gets here. But um, that, that's, the, that's the, the number right now is a 50 personnel limit. And if you're using 30 of those on players and another, uh, you know, what, eight or nine of them on the coaching staff when you consider the goalie coaches and the video coaches and all that, um, not a whole lot of wiggle room there. Uh, I, I'm sure that the NHL is coming at some point with a whole set of broadcasting regulations. Uh, Gary did mention in one of his follow-up interviews the other day that they are going to produce an international feed for television. But I've been on a lot of calls. I'm, I'm also the television voice of the Philadelphia Wings. I've been on a lot of calls in the NLL where um, they've been discussing the industry, and there apparently are great advances out there now in terms of being able to produce games remotely in that you get a uh, just I don't want to talk shop too much with uh, <laughs> with with uh, the fans here but just to bore them to death but when you get an international feed as a television producer um, it's a little bit handcuffing because normally a television producer would be in control of the cameras they would tell the camera the camera operators where to shoot they would pick the cameras that they want us at the viewing at home to see uh, when you get an international feed you don't have that flexibility you're stuck with what you get somebody else is making the calls and you have to kind of make it work into your own story there are uh, technological advances now though where you can make those calls say from the, uh, the the NBC Sports Philadelphia studios um, the the talent uh, Timmy Coatsy JJ whatever they could be in the hub city or they could be back at back in the studio and uh, you know as a as a play-by-play -play guy it's hard to do play-by-play -play off a monitor just from the standpoint of you can't see everything that's going on if the play is here and there's something going on back here off camera like a, yeah. a fight or some a late change something like that you don't necessarily see it if you're calling it off a monitor but supposedly these um, these these uh, advances in this technology allow the play-by-play uh, -play guys to see several camera angles at the same time as well. So it's going to be interesting. It, it really could be kind of game-changing too in terms of how, uh, you know, there, there's all this talk in the real world, if you will, about how people may not, you know, work from the office as much after working from home and seeing how well it worked and cutting down on commute times and, uh, you know, pollution and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I think it might be a little bit of a change too in the broadcast industry, at least in terms of, uh, you know, maybe not the, the, the top, top tiers of professional sports where there's a lot of money at stake, but, uh, you know, you can see a lot more flexibility for some of the smaller uh, pro sports in terms of getting their things on the air. Um, you know, sometimes they just don't televise games because it's cost prohibitive to send people on the road, but if they can do it from wherever, um, you might see more and more of that, and that would be beneficial to the fan because you get to see more of your team. So it's gonna—that's that's part of uh, part of what I'm waiting for—is to see uh, what our direction is from the NHL on the broadcast side of things. But I, I, I'm sure that uh, whatever it is, uh, we're, we are going to have a, a great time. There's a lot of stuff in the works 
uh, on the Flyers' side to uh, try to make these games as much like a home game as humanly possible in this environment. So a lot of great ideas going back and forth. And I think once the games get here, the fans will be uh, will be able to uh, be a part of it, even though uh, you won't be able to go watch the game in person. Um, there, there will be ways to, uh, to, to, to be a part of this run. Yeah, and the other thing that's going to be interesting, with no fans in the building, um, they can get a lot more creative with camera positioning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we could, you know, gyro cams, you know, you can raise the scoreboard up because there's no fans there to look at it, you know. So you could do some sort of gyro cams that hover over the ice, and um, this could pave the way for us consuming the game as yeah. television viewers in a different way. They can experiment a bit. Do they play music during the games, uh, you know, how they handle this um, could be very, very interesting. Uh, I've the- seen some German soccer where there's been crowd noise pipe, piped in, I guess, mm-hmm. sort so to speak. Uh, in fact, there was one game I saw some pictures of where they put cardboard cutouts of fans in the stands or something yeah. like that. So. It's like the fake policeman in the car yeah. <laughs> on the New Jersey uh, on 42. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, phase three of implementation um, – and uh, Bill alluded to it earlier. We lost Bill, but hopefully he'll rejoin us. Um, is, Ju- is July in there? And on Speak cue, of the devil. <laughs> Bill rejoins <laughs> us exactly as I say that. Uh, but July 10th looks like the earliest date of, uh, uh, of uh, the team heading or the league heading into phase three, which obviously then puts everybody into a position to report for camp. Do we have any sense – of the length of the training camp before the teams are to report to whatever hub city that may be, which I guess will be TBD. I'm hearing Las Vegas looks very likely. Um, They'd love to use a Canadian market, but we have some hurdles to overcome there. But Bill, you mentioned July 10th earlier in the episode. Um, How long is that training camp if players in phase two, as early as the next week to 10 days, are going to be on the ice in informal sessions? Is that just going to be a two-week thing? What What's generally been said is uh, it's been a three-week camp. Um, now, could, could it potentially be sure? Maybe. Don't forget, though, that in the in the small group sessions, you know, there's a limit of six players on the ice. Um, there's not supposed to be any contact. And there's no coaches on the ice. I mean, players' conditioning will, will certainly pick up over over that course of several weeks. But you know, I I I don't know. I mean. I, from what it's sounding like, if camps start on July 10th, maybe maybe it could be a two-week camp, and then you're looking at, you know, late July to start. But uh, you know, from what I had heard, at least at least leading into Gary Bettman's announcement was going to, you know, they were probably looking at more like three weeks, just to, just based on player and coach preference. Okay, well, that makes sense. And, and you want to get these players in as great a shape as you can prior to that. Uh, Bill, let me ask Bill, you this as well because. I'm getting an echo. Are you getting an echo, Shmini? I am. I think it's you coming back through Bill's phone. Oh, so you have your phone hooked up too, Bill? Or I'm sorry. Coming back through back the, through the computer. computer. Yeah, it might be coming back through the uh, Maybe Maybe mute yourself when we're talking. Just the, uh, I'm sorry? Maybe mute yourself when we're talking. That might take care of it. Or if you just maybe okay. even just turn down a little bit just so you can hear us enough. Okay. Um, one, two. Okay. Um, uh, Bill, one of, the, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about um, was the situation when they do come back. Um, Bill Daly spoke about it in his media availability, a positive test 
will not shut the playoffs down. There's going to be a lot of testing. There's going to be contact tracing. Uh, Gary Bettman up, mentioned upwards of 30,000 tests. Um, if a player does test positive, is it the assumption that he's done for the remainder of the playoffs if this happens early enough? Or could, after a period of time, they return? Maybe they're asymptomatic, but once they're clear to the virus. You know, I, I certainly think the player would have to at least be quarantined again for a period of time. Um, you know, it seems like 14 days is the standard, and he'd have to be ace. You know, he'd have to be not just asymptomatic; he'd have to test negative too over a period of time. I mean, it might be hard in a, in a uh, condensed playoff format for that player to come back. I mean, the number one thing that you, you're concerned about is you know making sure that 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 it doesn't spread to teammates and to opponents, and then you know and the rest right on down the line. I mean, that's a, you know, it's a dangerous situation. I mean, they, they do seem to have a uh, procedure in place if somebody tests positive and that, that's a, that's a big part of it. So, I mean, and that certainly increases the likelihood of being able to play through the playoffs. You know, if a positive test or uh, a couple of positive tests, you know, would not uh, cause the cancellation of, uh, uh, of the rest of the playoffs uh, you know, force a, a team to, to be out of the playoffs. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that, that's a situation that everybody's dreading. And I, I also think, Jason, that's part of, you know, why we're looking at waiting so long. Um, they want to monitor, you know, how the, uh, how the virus is trending. And, um, you know, because, because as there's more and more data available, they, they're a little bit, you know, and then it's certainly not exact, you know, there, there's like, there's, there's a guessing game still involved in it. But I think that, as more and more data comes in, you know, they know more and more about it, and therefore, you know, they'd be uh, more likely to be able to, to deal with that situation if it arises. Uh, let me tell everybody that Flyers Daily is brought to you by Yingling. Hey, Philly fans, grab a cold Yingling and elevate your taste because this is just as in a beer. It's a lager. It's time to spread your wings. Yingling traditional lager. Give them a follow on Twitter at Yingling Beer. Uh, the hub cities will be determined at a later date. We'll see uh, who they – uh, end up being whether that is Las Vegas and and Pittsburgh or Las Vegas and Raleigh or some combination thereof or if they maybe move to a more centralized location once they get to a conference final and a cup final or maybe just a cup final to bring the two uh, the hub cities together uh, for the final series uh, to determine who wins the Stanley Cup uh, but let's look at those uh, those play-in rounds and look at the potential in those situations for upset or what we think is going to happen here. Uh, let's first and foremost start in the Western Conference. The eight versus nine in the Western Conference is a pretty intriguing matchup when you got Calgary facing the Winnipeg Jets, Connor Hellebuck, who uh, if I'm voting for a Vesna winner, and I should be, uh, he's your Vesna winner. Um, is, uh, who's the, who takes this series? Schmidt, you got Calgary going here, or is Winnipeg going to take that spot and, and move into the top 16? I mean, if I'm basing this on what I saw during the the regular season, uh, I'm, I'm going Calgary there. I think the uh, I, I felt like the Flames were a team that had been struggling, but were starting to figure it out. Um, you know, since uh, this break happened, you know, it's almost like starting over again. So um, it's it's kind of hard to get a handle on these sort of things. Uh, Winnipeg obviously had the a better regular season, but um, you know, I, I've always been, uh, I've always been impressed with the, with Calgary's total package. And I think, uh, you know, Johnny Gaudreau obviously had an off year and 
Flyers fans like when he has an off year because they feel like it's a good chance, better chance he'll get traded here. But, uh, um, you know, I think he was uh, primed for a, a bit of a bounce back. So I would lean toward that. But you're right. That's going to be one of the closest series, I think, in this whole thing. Bill, one of the series that uh, people felt like maybe a team that was uh, getting in that maybe was undeserving was a team like the Minnesota Wild. In the first round, uh, they're going to get a matchup uh, against uh, the Vancouver Canucks and Jacob Markstrom back healthy. So who, who, uh, who do you like in that series? Uh, well, I mean, I'll preface this, that uh, you know, we're dealing with short series, we're dealing with long layoffs, and the fact that uh, you know, there are going to be upsets in every series. You know, not every series, but that's but the, the NHL. You know, there's there's going to be some upsets along the way here. No, no, no doubt about it. Um, you know, that being said, I, I would probably go with Vancouver here in a short series. Yeah. Um, you know, they have they have some guys like Pedersen who can take over a series. Markstrom, you know, Flyers can attest he stole a game from the Flyers early this season. Um, you know that that uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would. I would probably pick Vancouver going in, but I, I could say that this for any series down the line, truly anything can happen because, you know, I, nobody, nobody can just pick up where they left off. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's kind of a guessing game here, but I'd say Vancouver. Uh, one of the really intriguing ones to me is Nashville and Arizona uh, in this play in situation, best of five in the Western conference. Schmitty. Does Nashville, uh, be, uh, they're the sixth seed. Arizona is the 11th. But I look at Arizona, I go, that's a team that maybe, you know, a little bit of a pause could help that team with the addition yeah. of Taylor Hall. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Arizona takes that one. I'm not sure uh, uh, the, the Nashville had obviously, uh, you know, rebound, they had responded to their coaching change midseason. But uh, I think Arizona's got a situation where their momentum, again, would would carry them to a point where they could, take care of Nashville um, you know it's it's easy to sit here and look at the seeds and the numbers and things like that but uh, when you look at the way the Western Conference ended um, you know Nashville and, and Vancouver uh, both at 78 points Arizona just four points back at, at 74 even though they played one more game um, you know there was uh, quite the potential there for the uh, the Western Conference standings to be completely jumbled, um, you know, in terms of who finished where. I think the league did get it right in terms of drawing the line there at 24 underneath Chicago, um, you know, because they were, uh, again, only, uh, you know, six point or eight points back of Winnipeg, six points out of a spot uh, with, uh, you know, again, they had 12 games left. So, you know, there was, it was very close there, but, um, but Arizona is one of the teams that uh, I would be worried about going up against if I was uh, a Western conference team, I would not really want to play them. And I think they would take that serious. Uh, Bill, I've uh, now put you on a really good one here. And that would be a team that as a 12 seed, I do not think that the Edmonton Oilers really wanted to draw Jonathan Taves, uh, draw uh, guys like Patrick Kane, and Corey Crawford and Duncan Keith, three-time cup champions, the team of the decade in a play-in situation. But that's who Ed Bitson's got. Can Chicago upset him? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, you, you never want to just say a team with Patrick Kane and, and Taze and the veterans on there. And, and maybe the long layoff would be beneficial for some of the veterans. But, I mean, I you know, I, I think at this point – uh, Edmonton has has the firepower to beat them. I mean, they have other question marks on the team that, that's been 
you know, keeping the puck out of their own net sometimes. But I, I would, I would go, I would go with Edmonton in that series. Well, that series is going to be really interesting to me because uh, you're going to be looking at an Edmonton team that has not gotten as good as quickly as everybody expected them to get with all the draft picks they've had going up against, like you said, the team of the decade that has obviously lost its edge a little bit, but they've got so much of that playoff experience. I'm really interested to see how that playoff experience translates to, uh, to, to this, uh, this format and really them getting new life. I mean, they were done in what, December, January, and uh, they, they played much better in the last few weeks, but they still had been way too in, in a pretty deep hole. And, you know, this again, because of the way they had to uh, try to make an even playing field gives them new life. So that's, that's going to be a very interesting series to me. Yeah, some young players too with Alex Debrinkit. And they probably, had they probably known they were going to the playoffs, would not have traded Robin Lehner to the Las Vegas Golden Knights, but they did. So we'll, we'll see how that part of the equation. Let's move to the Eastern Conference, and this is where it's really interesting. And we're going to start with what I think is the most interesting play-in matchup in the entire NHL, and it's number eight, Toronto. Boy, Toronto fans, be happy. You're not facing the Bruins for your playoff life, but you're drawing the Columbus Blue Jackets and a healthy Seth Jones and Cam Atkinson, and this is not an easy situation and we know that John Tortorella knows how to coach playoff hockey. We saw it last year. So let's look at the situation here. Bill, is it Columbus that puts uh, Toronto into the NHL lottery? Columbus was a team that was playing outstanding hockey, you know, and then they got decimated with injuries. I mean, Seth Jones being the biggest one. And no team benefits from this, this uh, time off more than Columbus. Now all of a sudden they're a healthy team, and they buy into uh, you know they they buy into Tortorella's system. They are a very very dangerous opponent. I don't like Toronto's blue line even a little bit. Uh, I think they don't even like Anderson it. is yeah, Anderson is a good goalie, not a great goalie in in my estimation. I'm picking Columbus in that series. I'm with you, Schmitty. Yeah, I am too, and it's really kind of. Uh funny to me because you know the blue jackets were supposed to be completely written off right after losing both Bobrovsky and Panarin in this offseason I mean they were supposed to be in the tank and then uh, you know like you said uh, they were they were doing great until the injury bug hit them um, you know now you're going to have a Columbus team that was going like this coming going up coming uh, into that break versus a Toronto team that had you know had a great start to the season but had fallen off again it's going to be uh, a matter of which team comes back out of this break for both of those sides, but uh, would not surprise me to see uh, to see Columbus eke that one out. Well, here's the good news, Flyer fans. If Columbus gets through and you find yourself matched up against them after however you finish in the round robin, uh, you've gone 4-0 against the Columbus Blue Jackets this season. Uh, if that's a harbinger of things to come, we'll take it. Against the Maple Leafs, the Flyers went 2-0-1 on the season including that back-to-back shootout win uh, where they had the shootout win against Boston and against Toronto earlier in the season. All right, the 7-10 matchup, uh, the New York Islanders as the seven seed are hosting the number 10 seed, the Florida Panthers. Do we see upset here? Because I do not. I see the Islanders moving forward in this round, Bill. No, I, I agree with that. And, I, you know, I have, I have total respect for any Joel Quentinville coach team, but – Florida, Florida this year was a team that uh, 
You know, they, that was talk about a team that really had trouble keeping the puck out of their net. I mean, Bobrovsky had a really off season this year. And, you know, I expect he'll get better as his tenure continues with Florida. Certainly the Panthers have to hope so. But, you know, I, if, although there's some talent on Florida, I don't see them winning this matchup. You know, I, I, I would be, I'd be quite surprised if they did. Yeah, Flyers 2-0-1, or 2-1 against Florida on the season. Against the Isle Schmitty, 0-2-1. Oh, so if you're a Flyer fan, I guess you're, you're rooting for Florida should you draw them. Uh, but the Isles, uh, y- are you on the Isles side of this one as well? Yeah, I am. And uh, they've always been, they've been a tough out for the Flyers here for the past couple of years. Barry Trotz has been a, just a huge addition to that team. I mean, they, he is, uh, you know, we, we talk about how Elaine Vigneault's uh, style has turned the Flyers around. Well, for Trotz, it was the exact same effect. Uh, going from, I believe, uh, last in the league in goals allowed to, to first in terms of fewest goals allowed. So two goals off year to year, Schmitty. Yeah, absolutely. And then Ooh. that's that's the kind of thing that uh, that, that that gets you through a um, uh, gets you through a, a short playoff series is a stingy defense like that. Unless Bob comes back in Vesna form, which I suppose is a possibility, given that we don't know what kind of situation we're dealing with here. I, I yeah I, I see uh, New York taking that. Yeah, I do as well. So that's the Islanders that would go through, uh, yeah, which okay. is fine because as long as we don't have to go to Barclays anymore, I don't have to hear Timmy and Coach complain about it. <laughs> Good point. Uh, one of the teams that did not vote for the return to play scenario uh, was the Carolina Hurricanes, and maybe when I look at their matchup, I can see why because I see a team in the Rangers that at the deadline decided not to move on from Chris Kreider, but rather extend him. They have a Hart Trophy candidate, maybe the winner in Artemi Panarin. Mika Zabanejad, as the season was winding to its pause, was playing as good or better than any forward in the National Hockey League. Igor Shosturkin, 9-1, and one, they'll get him back, but do they go with him or the King, who's got good numbers against Carolina? It's the Rags and the Canes. Bill, where do you go on this one? Bill, where do you go on this one? Well, I, I, you know, the, as you said, the Rangers were, were really red hot. It was actually Flyers that cooled them off. You know, mm-hmm. they, uh, they swept them back-to-back games, that home-and-home set, and the Rangers, you know, they were you – know, they, they found ways to win a, a couple of games, come up with some big points there. But they, 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 they seemed to finally, you know, be, be fading a little bit. I mean, they, they benefit from this. They were a little – a little ahead of schedule for a team that would be in a rebuilding mode. Um, you know, they're playing with house money a little bit here, and that makes them a dangerous team. Um, you know, they're, they don't have the depth uh, of some other teams. I mean, you know, I, I, I some, something tells me in here that the Rangers, the Rangers might pull off an upset in that series, except for those reasons. I mean, you know, if you look at everything on paper, you know, they, they don't have as much depth. Uh, the goaltending, as long as Shostakin is healthy, then um, you know, then, then he, I mean, he's shown himself to be a really high-end young goaltender. Yeah, I, I'll actually go with I'll actually go with the Rangers in that one. Schmitty? Schmitty. I would probably do the same again, just on the standpoint of um, what what the Rangers had put together. Um, you know, heading into uh, in, into this break, even though the Flyers uh, really dominated that weekend series. Um, you know, the Rangers were in a situation where uh, they were in a situation a lot like the Flyers have been in the past six or seven years where if they were going to get in, it was going to take everything they had to get in, and they probably weren't going to have much left 
for a first round series. Now they've been kind of given a little bit of new life here, I think, with the way the situation has developed and, uh, you know, obviously a, a lot of time to get healthy and maybe get their heads back on straight. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the Flyers, when they had that back-to-back, um, were, uh, I believe we're seeing Shesterkin in the second game in a row of a back-to-back, and that's how bad they were on Lundquist at the time. Um, they were just really kind of uh, – uh, he, he, he had just lost his way. And then uh, when in the back half of that at Madison Square Garden, the Flyers chased him in the first period. Uh, you know, it just – I think he might have had some time maybe to settle down. And, uh, you know, even if he's not playing, he's going to be uh, a great year for Shesterkin in terms of how to play in situations like this, whereas, uh, you know, your Carolina Hurricanes are, uh, you know, coming off an Eastern Conference Finals appearance last year, uh, played a lot of hockey. They do get a break, obviously, like everybody else. But, uh, you know, even with that, it's hard to maintain. So uh, I, I kind of think the Rangers have the momentum there. But, again, uh, coming out of this break, well, anything remains to be seen. But I would go with uh, the Rangers in that one. Well, Flyers 3-0 against the Rangers this season, 3-0-1 against the Canes. Bring on whoever. That's what you got to say. Yep. Right. Uh, the, the last Eastern Conference uh, best-of-five play-in matchup has your number 12, Montreal Canadiens, with Carey Price, a 500 and NHL 500 team, who uh, this past season the Flyers went 2-1 and one against, against the fifth-seeded Pittsburgh Penguins, who the Flyers went one, one, and one against. Bill, can the can the Caps put the Penguins in the lottery and the Alex Lafreniere sweepstakes? <laughs> They'd probably win the darn thing, too. Exactly. Yeah. I'd be so <laughs> red-ass, Schmitty, if that happened. <laughs> if it's either them or Chicago wins it or Edmonton, it's like, oh, man. Well, you know, go, going into it, I, there's going to be all kinds of talk about the carry price factor. I mean, Carey Price didn't have, you know, he didn't have a great year. It's been a couple of years since he's really been, you know, the, the Carey Price that uh, was, you know, the most dominant player in the league that, that one year, you know, when he, when he won the heart. Um, still a fantastic goalie. Still can steal a game, even steal a series. I, I can't go against a, a healthy Penguins team. I mean, yeah. They have some questions in net, but they have, they'll have a healthy Crosby. They'll have a healthy Malkin. You know, they do have a couple guys who will not be coming back. Um, Duke said for one, he, he was not going to be able to come back. But, you know, that, that's a little bit of depth in the lineup there. But, no, I, you know, I, I'd have to go. I'd have to pick Pittsburgh objectively. Yeah, and Gensel is one of those players that will be coming back. But will they go Murray or will they go Jari remains to be seen. Schmitty, can the yeah, I don't miss the playoffs on a technicality? I, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't see uh, Carey Price being as – much of a concern as probably a lot of Penguins fans do. The only thing I think the Canadians have going for them is if it is indeed a best of five, that uh, that, that Price could get hot enough to uh, to push them through. Um, but uh, I, I think Pittsburgh's just got too much to offer. Um, you you got to remember that this is a team that uh, really is only in this round because of the skid they were on through the month of February. Um, you know, they, uh, they're, they're a better team, I think, than what their record shows right now. Uh, obviously, they've had a ton of injuries as well. And as you mentioned, they're uh, mostly back from them. So uh, I don't see them having a problem with that Montreal Canadiens team uh, top to bottom. I think the only way they do have a problem is if 
uh, is if Carey Price is, like a lot of people are speculating, completely lights out and does so for uh, for three games. And that's all he has to do in that situation. But uh, I think the odds are that, that Pittsburgh figures him out and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll be able to pass through that. Yeah, I agree with you. I just can't see it. I think there's too much experience, too much depth, too much championship pride on that Penguin team. So a Flyer-Penguin matchup. Well, it could be in the cards. We shall yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we're time. talking about Chicago and possibly coming out of the 12 seed with an upset thanks to their playoff experience, those guys on the Pittsburgh Penguins roster have just almost as much. And, and in some cases, they, you know, the older guys, they do have as much. And I don't think that uh, that's anything to forget either. I think those guys will know what to do when the time comes and, and how to approach this whole thing. Well, here's the deal. Um, it, it, as this podcast comes out, it's been 79 days since the Flyers took on the Boston Bruins and the NHL pause began. This episode of Flyers Daily is brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Give them a follow on Twitter at Yingling Beer. Where can people find the latest episode, Bill, of Prospect Pipeline, which you guys just recorded yesterday? It's uh, yeah, we just we just screwed it yesterday. It's on Flyers Broadcast Network. Um, you can see it from uh, Flyers Broad at Flyers Broadcast on Twitter, um, or I posted it. My, I posted the link to it as well. Uh, just click the link and you you can access it right from there. Jump off point. A lot of great information in that uh, Flyers Prospect Pipeline episode. Uh, so be sure to check that out, boys. This was a lot of fun. Uh, here's what I know. We're a couple days closer. Every yep. day that goes by, we're closer to hockey. We don't know when that is, but, hey, we're getting closer, so that's a good sign. And next time we do this, now that I know it's sponsored by Yingling, I will have a Yingling. Boom. Is your beer distributors open there in Delaware? Yeah, well, well yeah, we've been. We never, we never closed. Oh, that's right. Beer distributors are considered yeah. essential, even in PA. <laughs> yeah, we're, we never closed. We've been able to do everything we've always been able to do here. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like the South where you can get it at Walmart, but we're not in the dark ages like Pennsylvania either. So, <laughs> Believe me, I know. Liquor stores are non-essential. Beer distributors are essential. Yeah. What a world we're living in, fellas. Hey, guys, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. And everybody, yep. thanks for listening to this episode of Flyers Daily. Another fun-filled episode comes your way on Monday. In the meantime, everybody stay healthy. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week on Flyers Daily. Believe that I could leave you standing out in the cold. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. I know how it feels because I have slipped through to the very depths of my soul. Yeah, oh, oh. baby, I just want to show you what it Every bend in the road Now listen Oh, whoa